0: That's it. That's the message. I'm done. (laughs) Yeah, how do I top that, right? (laughs) So Greg asked me to give the message today for Father's Day, and I thought, awesome, how cool would it be to give a Father's Day message while my dad's here? So that's my dad in the back, Kyram Gonzalez. (laughs) When you get a chance, say hi to him after the service. He doesn't really like crowds, but you're not a crowd, you're a family. So he won't mind so much. So back in October, uh, I gave my first sermon here at church. By the way, my name's Eric Gonzalez, if you don't know me. I'm part of the teaching team here uh, with Pastor Greg and Ryan. Ryan's out fishing, so he's out today. Uh, if you remember, I shared a picture of my dad holding Jakin, my son. You guys remember this picture? It's a similar... Uh, this is not the same picture. It's actually a different one. But the same instance, my dad holding his grandson, delighting in him. Jakin's looking at his picture back there. He's like, oh, that's me. <laughs> and back then, I said the same thing that I'll say now. I imagine this is the way that God sees us uh, when he looks at us, right? A grandson delighting in his grandfather's fingers, fascinated by them, and a, a grandfather delighting in his grandson. And that verse that was flashed up at the end of the video there, 1 John 3.1, that's our foundational verse today. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that picture, if you could put it back up there again, Nate, that's a picture of that truth in my mind. It's an imperfect one, like Greg said earlier today. You know, we're, we're imperfect, but it still captures the essence, right? Jacob's fascinated with my dad's fingers, just like we're fascinated with the hand of God. And when we fix our eyes on our heavenly Father, he delights on us. So, if you open your Bibles with me to Genesis uh, 2 through 3, we're going to take a break from our series in Mark and celebrate Father's Day. And we'll pick up in Mark 7 next week, and you get me again next week. Today, we're going to talk about our relationship with our earthly fathers and how it reflects and often influences our relationship with our heavenly father. And I've entitled this message, Who's Your Daddy? So depending on which translation you use in the Bible, there's about 900 to about 1,000 verses in the Bible that use a term understood to mean Father. That's a lot of verses in the Bible, 900 to 1,000, depending on the translation. So the key idea I want you to get out of this message is, we've sung it today, and we've watched a video about it. You are loved by your Father in heaven. He's inviting you into a relationship with him. So who is this heavenly Father? Father. So going back to Genesis 2, let's go back to the beginning. Going back to the beginning. Anybody get that reference? A few Princess Bride fans out there. If we go back to the beginning in creation in the garden, Genesis 2, 7, the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So essentially God is the father of all creation. He creates Adam. Adam is God's son. It's even relayed in the the New Testament. In Luke uh, 3.38, it says, Adam, son of God. And if you skip down to verse 15 there in chapter 2 of Genesis, it says, the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work and take care of it. He issued him a challenge. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. So he's got the challenge of ruling and working in the garden, and then he's got the challenge of not eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But God didn't leave him alone to, take, to uh, take care of that challenge. He invited him into relationship, right? He provided Eve as his helpmate. And then God walked in the cool of the garden throughout creation, and they had relationship. That was the way that the father-son relationship was supposed to be. A relationship directly with God. Invitation and challenge. The challenge of ruling the garden, tending to the garden, and the invitation of walking in the cool of the garden with God. Do you remember the matrix that Greg has preached on before? This one? Is that familiar to some folks? I'll explain it. So the challenge here, kingdom work that needs to be done, represented by what God tasked Adam to do, and then the invitation, the covenant relationship that they shared. It's the same today. So when we're talking about discipleship, you can have low challenge, high challenge, low invitation, high invitation. So if you have low challenge and low invitation, that's a boring environment where not much is being done and there's not much interaction relationally. If you have high invitation but low challenge, it's a consumer environment where some people are doing the work for the others And there's high invitation, there's relationship there, but it's social, and there's not really work being done. And then if you go down to the bottom right-hand quadrant, the stressed environment, that's where there's high challenge, a lot of work to be done, but there's no relationship to support the work. It becomes stressful, it becomes works-centered in discipleship. The sweet spot is the upper right-hand quadrant, the discipleship quadrant, where there's not only high challenge, but high invitation, covenant relationship. So the relationship that we have with our Father God is infusing us to do the work of his kingdom. Does that make sense? But guess what? In the garden, because of sin, the high invitation and high challenge that was there at the beginning was severed. The invitation was gone. Because of sin, because of sin, it went right from the discipleship quadrant to the stressed quadrant. The access to God was cut off. And now Adam was left with the high challenge of expressing dominion in the earth without the relationship, direct relationship with his father. So sin entered the world, marred the father-son, father-daughter relationship. What was supposed to be a perfect blend of invitation and challenge in an instant went to being stressful. Low invitation, high challenge. You guys see that? Okay, that's great conceptually. I tend to be academic when I talk about these kinds of things. So what does it have to do with us here in Anchorage in 2016? You see, it all relates to our relationship with our fathers. Our earthly father was supposed to be a representation of our relationship with our heavenly father. Adam was supposed to pass on this high invitation idea to his sons and daughters. But sin gets in the way. The first Adam, the first God representative, he jacked it up, screwed it up. So now invitation and challenge are all over the place. Can you throw the the graph back up there, Nate? Go back one. So now, because of the messed up relationships that we have with our fathers, we can be all over the map in this. Some fathers are a little more stressful, challenging us beyond what we can do. Some fathers don't challenge us at all. Some are not even there. They're absent. And we've got this chocolate mess. What's a chocolate mess? Can you throw that picture up? Nate. <laughs> that's a chocolate mess right there. So the picture on the left was taken just a couple weeks ago. My wife gave uh, Jake a, a Twix, can- it was like, not even a big piece, it was like that, that much, and that's what got on his face. And then that's Ryan's uh, daughter, uh, Hannah. It's not chocolate, but it expresses the point. <laughs> but what do you guys see when you see that, that mess there? Do you see the mess? Or do you see the cuteness behind the mess? Guess what? It's the same with our Heavenly Father, isn't it? We're so focused on the chocolate mess that we are, but he's focused on the eyes. He's focused on the chubby cheeks. (laughs) He loves us for who we are despite our chocolate mess. (laughs) Because of Christ, he sees past the chocolate and tomato sauce, and he sees us as his sons and daughters. You're loved, and he's inviting you into a relationship. Because of sin in the garden, because of that moving from discipleship to the stressful quadrant, our identity is stolen. We forget that we're sons and daughters of the king, sons and daughters of the original father. I've talked about identity before, and I'm going to talk about it again because it's crucial. You guys remember this slide? so. The up-in-and-out. The up-relationship with our Father is where the source of everything. He gives us life. He gives us salvation. He gives us freedom. We need to identify with Him as our Father and as our King. The covenant side is the relational side. The kingdom side is the, the challenge, the mission side. So if we don't connect with our Father, we're not able on the inside to be changed. If we forget who we are in Him, that He's our Father, if we forget that He's our King, We lack the identity to go out and obey. We lack the authority to go out and power and to do his kingdom work. So we got to go back to who we are in him as his sons and daughters. And that's why I've talked about it before and I'll say it again. That's why the identity of who we are is attacked so much in society, right? Who are we as men, as Ron's saying? What does it mean to be a man? If you don't identify with who God is, that you're his son, that everything you have comes from him, You're not going to have the ability to obey, the ability to carry out the power. If you go straight from trying to know God to the out of trying to advance his kingdom or trying to obey him without the work being done in you of the Holy Spirit, then it's going to be legalistic. It's going to turn into works, not faith-based stuff. So we've lost the invitation to be in God's presence. Our identity as sons and daughters of the king took a big hit when sin entered the garden makes it difficult, even impossible, to obey his challenge and mandate to rule the earth. Instead of subduing the earth like Adam was instructed to do, we find ourselves being subdued. Not only can we not obey, but without identity found in God the Father, we lack the authority of God's kingship to rule his kingdom and power, at least the righteous power that he requires. And the same is true of all of our fathers. All of our fathers who were supposed to be God's representatives to us, the children, these same fathers representing the relationship are unable, utterly incapable of doing it right. They don't identify with who God is and their role as sons of the king. And mothers are a poor reflection of God's character as well. Just a side note that I wanted to throw in here, address the mothers, as we've been talking about fathers a lot today. In Numbers twenty three thirteen, it says God is not a man that he should lie. And it's just a reminder to us that he's a spirit. In John four twenty four, it says he's a spirit. He's without sexual parts. So when we refer to God as our Father, it's a use of a metaphor that Jesus used over and over again emphatically in which he likened God to a kind and loving Father. But because God is not a man but a spirit, he also has divine attributes that are closely aligned with what we consider typically feminine traits. The Bible describes love, God's love and his caring, comparing it to that of a concerned and caring mother. There's a verse in Luke 13, 34 that I want to read to you that, that kind of draws this out, because we forget that God is spirit. He's not just a fatherly figure. He's also a motherly figure in some sense. So here's this uh, verse, Luke 13:34, where he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her, che- her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Yeah, chicks under their wings, Matthew. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, a hen is definitely a mother figure, not a rooster. So God has both aspects to his character. And fathers, just like mothers, are a poor reflection of who God really is. But we're going to focus on the fatherly side today, because it is Father's Day after all. So perhaps you had, like I said before, a bad father, an absent father, a disapproving father, manipulative father, an abusive father they all fall short of the reality of who God really is, a poor reflection. And even if you had a good or even great father that you thought was maybe a superhero, there's an instance when he he lets you down, when you first witness that chink in his armor, and he eventually falls short of God's glory. Maybe it was that time that he was supposed to take you to a game, and he couldn't do it for whatever reason, and it seemed like he lied. He lied. Or he was supposed to take you to an amusement park and he lost his job and couldn't afford it, couldn't take you on that vacation, and there was disappointment. Or that time that maybe he was supposed to protect you from a bully, and he didn't, and you felt betrayed. Or maybe there was that time that he got put in the hospital, that happened to my dad, and I remember seeing him with tubes in his nose and thinking, wow, dad's mortal. What? (laughs) thought he was a superhero. And there's fear that enters. I recently heard a quote from a guy named Randall Wallace. If anybody's heard of him, he's the, the screenwriter who wrote, wrote uh, the, screenwriter, the, uh, the story of Braveheart. that came out in, in the 90s. He's the author of a book called Braveheart Life. And he says about his father, My father was wounded under his armor, and he was bleeding there, and maybe had always been. And I thought, that's a, that's a powerful quote. What a reminder that our earthly fathers are just men. They're supposed to be a representation of God, but they'll always fall short of who God really is. So when did you realize that your father was not Superman? When did he fail you and fall short of who God is? So I posted a request on the city. Maybe some of you saw it, for people to share their stories of, their father influenced their relationship with their Heavenly Father. And some people responded, and I want to share some of these stories with you as we go on. Some of them are pretty intense. So the first one was from Connie. Thank you for sharing this, Connie. She's a little bit nervous about it. Uh, This is from Connie. This is her words. Just before I turned two, my mother passed away. My dad was left with five kids. None of his family members would help him. They all said five kids was just too many. My dad turned to alcohol so he could escape. Unfortunately, the alcohol brought out the worst in him. He became abusive. I used to be super quiet and just melt into the background. I thought if I was invisible, he could not hurt me. But thank God and praise God, the story doesn't end there, does it? Connie continues, In 2003 or so, my dad gave his heart to Jesus, I will always be thankful to Jesus for those last few years with my dad. My dad and I mended our relationship. And through Jesus, we had loving friendship for the remaining time of his life. Amen. That's good. You see, we need to get back to the original, the original Big Daddy. The whole of the gospel is about Christ restoring our relationship with the Father. Restoring the invitation to meet the challenge that he issues. Christ came to restore the gap between our heavenly Father and his sons and daughters. It's only through the Son, Jesus Christ, that we see the Father. If we look at John 14, 9, and then eighteen twenty one, Jesus says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So Philip is asking him in that moment, show us the Father and, and everything will be good. And, Je- and Philip, or Jesus says to Philip, Philip, why are you asking that? If you see me, you've seen the Father. It's alluding to the the fact that he's restoring that connection, that connection that was severed in the garden. And Jesus goes goes on to say, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. You see, Christ came to restore that relationship with our Heavenly Father, restoring the identity of being sons and daughters of the King, heirs in Christ, who are now in the power of the Holy Spirit, able to obey, demonstrate love for the Father through obedience, living out the gospel. We get to be his hands and feet, inviting and challenging. The restoration of invitation and challenge. But it can be hard when the relationship with our father gets in the way with our earthly fathers. It heavily influences, maybe even defines our life sometimes. Our fathers, our earthly fathers, are the first person who establishes an identity for a child. And so that's a powerful thing. So maybe you don't believe that God's character as a father is very good because you can't relate. Your earthly father gave you a bad example. Nicole Stevens shared this story. This is an intense story about her father that she gave me permission to share. It's kind of long, so bear with me on this. These are Nicole's words. As are a lot of dads, my dad was a hero, was my hero. He was a firefighter and he built houses on the side. He was resourceful, he was fun. He looked like a god, he was so strong, so handsome. Everyone you talked to respected and thought very highly of my dad. My dad hid his brokenness well. He struggled with pride, being a people pleaser, and wanting to provide the world to his family. But it all came at a cost. My dad was never diagnosed, but there's been discussion that he may have struggled with bipolar disorder. As a young child, though, he could do no wrong. He was my hero. And then, shortly after my ninth birthday, my dad killed himself. To say this one decision shaped the entirety of my life is an understatement. The day before my dad killed himself, there was an argument between him and my mother. There were so many hurtful things done and said, and ultimately my dad made me choose to stay with him or go with my mom. I chose to go with my mom because he had scared me so badly, and for a very long time I carried so much guilt that had I chose differently, he would still be alive today. I know that this isn't true, and I know it was a lie from Satan, but Satan used that lie to destroy my childhood and youth. I struggled for many years with anger, depression, and unforgiveness. My dad left an immeasurable void in my heart, and I tried many different ways and many different times to fill. My mom did not take my sister and I to church throughout my childhood, but I knew who God was. Looking back, I see how faithful he was to protect and walk with me in my brokenness. He was always with me, but I did not know him to be my savior, my hero. God let me hit absolute rock bottom, I was so very broken and desperate and finally after several near-death incidents, I cried out to him to save me and he was faithful to do so. In all of my brokenness and desperation, I was able to know the brokenness my dad must have felt and was able to forgive him for his selfish decision. I'm still and will always be so angry with him, but I love him and God freed me of the guilt I carried. God was faithful to redeem all of the mistakes I had made and gently showed me how to forgive myself of all my wrongdoing. As I reflect back over my youth, I see how much God loved me, walked with me, and protected me. He has been faithful to bless me with an amazing husband and children, one of them you saw on the screen there, and has given me purpose, hope, and boldness to speak the truth of who he is. So maybe you had a father like that who desperately impacted your life. And subconsciously, you project the negative, sinful ways of your father onto God. Believing the lies about who God really is. That's how the evil one tries to steal our identity and our authority. And then it stifles everything. stifles our walk with the Lord. It's easier said than done sometimes, but we have to get back to the root relationship with our Heavenly Father. In Matthew 23, 9, in response to the Pharisees, Jesus says, and do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father and he is in heaven. And he says that in the context of rabbis being called rabbis, master being called master, and father being called father to authority figures. And it's a great reminder that Jesus is saying, don't worry about the example that was set of these teachers, father figures, authority figures. Look to the ultimate father figure in heaven. Despite whatever relationship we had with our earthly father, redemption is possible. That's the real relationship, the real thing. It's God. Nicole leaves an exhortation to you guys. She left the room, I think, with her kids. But I know she wanted this to be said. If there is one thing I want people to take away from this story, it is this. We are all broken people. We will always fail each other. It is unfortunate, but it's the truth. I hope that the expectations we have for one another, especially our parents, will die with the recognition that they too are such broken people. The only person who can fill the emptiness, the hurt, the brokenness, the void that this earth leaves in our hearts is Jesus Christ. I love my father and I know that he loved me the best way he could, but wow, he fell so short. Thankfully, Jesus has restored my heart and shown me my true identity in him. He has shown me that his love, his redemption, is so much better than I could have ever imagined and has filled the void that my dad never could. Praise him. Mm, That's good. So what's your story? Where's the father wound or even mother wound that's holding you back? Are there lies that you believe about who God is because of the way your earthly father let you down? Christ restored that relationship with our heavenly father and from that identity, we then get to be the hands and feet Of Jesus, realizing that we're going to screw it up. We're going to be, in some cases, not as great examples of who God really is. So I'd be remiss if I didn't exhort and encourage fathers here about that idea. We're going to screw this father thing up. That's just the way it is. I mean, just last night I screwed it up with my daughter. Sorry, Krista. (laughs) We're fallible, we're sinful and we fall short of God's glory and character. But by his grace, if we're found in Christ who makes all things new, we can still be a representation of the Father's love to his children. So Ryan Stevens also shared on the city, and the relationship with his dad that he shared very much mirrors mine with my dad. Um, So these are Ryan's words, speaking to this point. I feel as though God has revealed to me this week that although I feel an immense pressure to actively impart some sort of wisdom on my own children, my presence and consistency will not be lost on them. That some of the most powerful lessons they will learn in their lives will not be evident in my words, but more so in my actions. That their eyes are watching the example being set for them, the example for the way to love their spouses, their children, for how to work hard, play hard, and seek God with their whole being. This presence and strength also reminds me of our relationship with our Heavenly Father. There are times that I feel as though I'm sitting on a log in a dark forest, blindfolded, but in reality, I'm never alone and never unprotected. The persistent strength and protection of my Heavenly Father gives me great peace, and there's so much to be learned in the silent presence of Him. So Ryan and his dad and me and my dad, I watched his example of who he was as a godly man. And he didn't always do everything right, but that steady presence, that steady rock if you will of just always being there was a great inspiration to me great inspiration to ryan about how god the father is always there so we had a good example albeit imperfect and guess what we get to be the same for new believers in the church we get to be their brothers their sisters their mother figures their father figures and we're going to do it imperfectly but we get to do it nonetheless in the power of the holy spirit and we get to see through that things through fresh eyes. So one of the things I love about my kids, especially Jakin, because he's, he's two and he's discovering a lot of new things. He looked up as I said his name. <laughs> so we go out to Ethan's baseball game and Ethan's learning how to play baseball this season. And I get to discover baseball all over again through fresh eyes. Jakin, as we're in the baseball field, is picking up dandelions <laughs> and, and blowing them, spreading weeds all over the place. <laughs> but I get to see the joy of a dandelion through his eyes. My oldest daughter, Aurelia, is learning how to drive. I get to rediscover driving all over again. <laughs> and my daughter, Krista, is really into Hamilton music. If you've not heard of Hamilton, we can talk about it afterwards. But <laughs> And so I get to rediscover music with my daughter. And it's the same when we have a new believer that comes into our body. It's like they're a child, a a baby in the faith, if you will. And we get to rediscover new things through their eyes. It's fresh. Somebody discovering the book of John for the first time. You know, somebody being baptized as we saw a couple of weeks ago for the first time. And how awesome that we get to see the kingdom of God through fresh eyes. And we know that we're not going to be great representative sometimes just because of our sinful tendencies but we can pray that god make us more like him more like him more like him more like, him, more like you god we must increase and you, we must decrease and you must increase so that we can receive and give his love receive and extend the invitation to relationship with him issuing the challenge to go out and share the gospel So I want to leave you with uh, some truth of God's fatherly heart. So maybe some of you are struggling with this message because you're just not relating because of your relationship with your father. So what I'd like for you all to do is just close your eyes where you are, and I'm going to read some verses about God's fatherly character. So Just make yourselves comfortable. There's 900 to 1,000 verses. I promise I won't read them all. But I will read a few that, that touched me this week. But while he was still away off, his father saw him, and he was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Luke 15: 20. Matthew 7:11: "If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? James 1:17: "Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows." Matthew 6:6: "Your father knows what you need before you ask him." Matthew 6:26. "Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Proverbs 3.11, the Lord disciplines those he loves, like a father the son he delights in. Romans 8.15, for you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, as we sang this morning, Abba Father, Daddy Father, is what that means. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And then Galatians 4, 4 through 7, when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons and daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts and the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has also made you an heir. And then finally, 1 John 3, 1, what we started with. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Lord, we just embrace this truth of who you are. Help us to believe it, Lord, that you are a good, good Father. As we sing, you're a good, good Father. It's who you are. And I pray, Lord, despite what may have happened in all of our individual paths with our earthly father, that we would see the truth of who you are, our Heavenly Father, who is good, the giver of all good things, who does not lie, who does not change like shifting shadows, who knows what we need before we even ask. May we embrace that truth, Lord, and walk in relationship with you, Lord, that as we walk with you, we could be changed and be your representatives, Lord. you'd stand with me, me and join me. in We sang this earlier. Mitch, you can come forward. So like I was saying, sometimes uh, we see things through new eyes. There's some people here, some new believers who may or may not have prayed this prayer. It becomes familiar to us. So what I'd like for us to do is pray this as a church, the Lord's Prayer, together. And the words are there on the screen. and the glory forever. Amen. 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 Yeah.